evening, everybody. It's nice to, uh, nice to get together with you. Tonight's class is somewhat different than the way that we have had the rest of our classes in that this ideally should be as discussion-oriented as we can possibly make it. Um, a few of you have delivered uh, some of the homework or at least uh, some prayers that you have constructed over the course of the class or over uh, the last week, leveraging the prayers that we have used throughout this class as templates. And so there's um, a lot of, of really beautiful things that I would love to share with you from people within this room. Um, but additionally, beyond that, I think it would be helpful for us to examine just co like conversationally and collectively, how have these prayers maybe repositioned your understanding of what it means to pray in the first place? Like in consideration of maybe what you walked into this class thinking about of, yeah, this is maybe generally what I pray for and how often I pray and what that looks like to then on the back end of it say, has there been any change or have there at least been seeds of change that are planted where we have different ideas that we can like teach each other and share with each other. So a large portion of this, maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of class, I think will just be total discussion, like free flowing that. So just a heads up, we'll, we'll get going and maybe cover a brief overview of each of the prayers we've studied so far uh, as a refresher. But just as a heads up, um, would love to get as much participation as possible. So as we go through these, think at maybe a high level, like what is one or two things I've learned? And then I don't know that we'll have time to hear from everybody, but would love to hear from anybody and as many people as possible on like what this has been. And if you are joining us for the first time, as we quickly review 12 different prayers that we've studied, uh, feel free to just say, hey, this one seems interesting to me and this would be something I can study further. So if we look at the very first prayer that we covered. This was Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18, if you want to turn there quickly. Genesis 18, verses 22 through 33 was the section that we looked at. The background for this prayer um, was really involving Abraham and God and Lot. And God had come to visit Abraham's house along with a couple of angels to tell Abraham about uh, Sarah's impending pregnancy and then also like to investigate what was going on in Sodom. And so uh, God somewhat monologues to Abraham and then the angels go to leave for Sodom uh, to investigate and see what's up. And then at that point, that's when Mo, or not Moses, excuse me, Abraham and God get into this like dialogue or conversation, this prayer where we see him kind of like whittling down uh, God uh, from a certain number of righteous people and, and then dropping down. We'll read this one quickly. So the men uh, turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Then he goes through, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham goes on to say, well, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy it for lack of five? And God goes down and says, yeah, if I find 45 there, that's okay. And then suppose there's 40. Suppose there's 30. And then he continues to whittle it down to 10. And God answers, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Some of the themes we examined from this prayer were the openness that Abraham has, the humility, and just the overall like intercessory nature of this prayer, where Abraham is praying not on his own behalf, but for the behalf of these other people. Um, He's not asking that God would like turn a blind eye towards the the justice that needs to happen, but that God would show as much mercy as possible. So some of those characteristics of humility in prayer, appealing to the character of God, and interceding for others um, continue to be seen in the other prayers. But that's the, the first one, was far be it from you. The second prayer we examined in this class was in Genesis 32. Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. This was picking up in the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob had uh, really been on the run ever since he stole the blessing and the birthright from Esau and uh, had been living with Laban uh, for a while. He ends up on the run from Laban. Uh, and God has told him that he needs uh, to return to the land uh, of kind of like his home country. Well, the last time he left his home country, there was maybe a, a particular reason he was fleeing. Does anybody remember the background of that piece? Like why he was running away in the very first place? Yeah, so after, uh, after Jacob had stolen it, like, why did he run away? Because Esau wanted to kill him. Yeah, exactly. Like, he kind of leaves under threat of murder, and then God calls him back, and the first thing he sees when he comes back into the land is Esau meeting him with 400 men on his way to see him. So there's this point of tension and conflict uh, for Jacob here where he's like, God, you've told me that you, you want to bless me and you're going to make me, uh, you know, come back into this land, but did you really just ask me to do that so that Esau is going to kill me? Like, there's this, this question in this moment. And so he says this prayer in Genesis 32. Um, o God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love And all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, 
I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So some themes that we pulled from this one, um, the covenant foundation in prayer. Again, there's more humility in prayer of, I am not worthy of the least of all the things you've done to me. Um, But this idea of covenant foundation of like, God, you promised this thing. And so in my prayer, I'm going to reference this promise. I'm going to lean on this promise. I'm going to pray this promise. That was a theme that we pulled from this one and it continued to be evident. The next prayer we looked at was in 1 Chronicles. Flip over there. That's a, quite a jump from Genesis. But 1 Chronicles 29 Verses 10 through 19. David had been wanting to build a house for God. And God tells him that Solomon is actually going to be the one to build it. But at the end of David's life, as he's kind of preparing to pass the kingship on to Solomon, he's preparing for the temple to, uh, to be built. Even though he knows he's not going to be the one to do it, he's making preparations. And the people of Israel came together with this... Uh, I can't remember who said it. It might have been Alan. Like a dump truck of blessings and offerings that they just kind of backed up and deposited. And so this prayer was a response to that. We won't, some of these are lengthier, so we don't have time to read all of them. Um, But if you look at verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 29. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able uh, thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, here's the heart of the prayer. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, testimonies, and statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. So we see this prayer opens with um, this big section of praise that we we didn't just read, but a praise of God. Um, The technical term for that is a doxology. And then there's this huge element of thanks of all the blessings that we even have are here just to, like, it's, it's amazing that we even have blessings to be able to give to you. And they're all out of your hand in abundance. Um, and then the ask is that God would direct the hearts of the people to have this same kind of love for him and this same kind of generosity for him. So we see maybe now, like, a difference in the type of intercession that it's not on their behalf of like sparing people for judgment, but I'm praying on behalf of these other people that God would continue to bless their hearts and direct their hearts to give of their lives and their means to him, not just for building the temple, but for everything else. 
If you flip to 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, we covered Jehoshaphat's prayer. The 30,000-foot view on this one in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 12, was that Jehoshaphat is um, surrounded by enemies, completely outnumbering the people of Judah and surrounding Jerusalem. And this is right after he has been making some like religious reforms. And so you would think that there would maybe be this tendency to say, well, God, I've been trying to like serve you and get back to you. But why is this happening? Why are we surrounded? But he, he somewhat has the opposite reaction. And instead of accusing God of betraying him, he turns to God and encourages the people to do this as well. Even though like you're completely surrounded by a military threat and it seems like this is probably about as bleak of a situation as you could possibly get into, he prays um, this famous, famous line in verse 12. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So there's this confession of helplessness earlier in this prayer, and he leaves the matter entirely in God's hands. Like there's a dependence on in these situations where we may feel like things are really bleak and we don't know how to handle them, we can still leverage this as a blueprint to say we're going to continue to trust God even when it looks really dark and really bleak. I realize we're, we're going through these at quite a clip um, and we'll, we'll have these last 20 minutes of discussion, but um, let's Let's try and keep plowing through these here. The next prayer came from Job chapter 42. So if you remember, Job had all these epic tragedies. Um, Job's friends accuse him of evil, and then we have all these multiple rounds of speeches. Um, God responds to test Job's knowledge with a whole lot of questions. Like almost all of chapter 38 and chapter 40 are all these big questions. Um, and Job is really overwhelmed by all these questions and can only basically say, like, I am small and I've said too much. Um, but then God continues with like this second round of questions and doesn't really let Job off the hook. Uh, in Job 42, Verse 2, Job reads, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Quoting what God had asked to him. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So the things we took away from this one, um, Job gains some essential knowledge. Knowledge of God, whom he had previously heard of, but now he sees and seeing God fully for who he is, like 
changes his perspective. We get an understanding that um, as much as we might question his ways and like laments and the whole book of Job shows us that to an extent that's, that's okay to do, our ultimate position needs to be one of trust with God. So seeing God changes your perspective, seeing God is better than answers and even humility uh, towards God. Then we had um, a, a giant jump from Job into the New Testament. So if you flip over to Acts. Acts chapter 4. This prayer comes directly after Peter and John had been released. Uh, they had been really annoying the Sadducees for preaching about Jesus' resurrection and they had been taken before the, the Sanhedrin. And uh, the council had somewhat, uh, the, count, the same council that had tried Jesus is like now trying two of his most prominent apostles. Um, they deliberately forbid the apostles uh, to teach about Jesus again. But Peter and John reply that they've got to follow the will of God instead of the will of men. And they can't possibly stop talking about Jesus. So the council kind of threatens them some more and then releases them. And Peter and John like come and return and tell their friends about what's been happening. And then this prayer comes out of that in Acts chapter 24. Maybe starting in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Some of the themes we took out of this one was that there was not a direct ask or request for like the destruction of the people who had been imprisoning them or who had been accusing them and threatening them, but instead it was that, that God would be the one to look at them and do what's best. Um, their prayer is for boldness to keep speaking God's word while God keeps working through the name of Jesus. So we learned from this one, like the importance of prayer in a trial, very similar to maybe Jehoshaphat's prayer where we're surrounded and what can we do in a situation like this? Um, but prayer for resolve and not just prayer for relief really sticks out from this one. It wasn't, God, please don't make it to where I'm never in a hard situation ever again and these people don't ever have any resistance. It's, God, please give us boldness that no matter if they do resist us, like, we're going to keep preaching. So prayer for resolve instead of prayer for relief. That theme directly then lended itself into what we looked at in Jesus' prayer um, in Matthew 26 of not my will but yours be done where he's in the garden and he's praying very sorrowfully even to death 
Jesus says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We saw in this one the importance of aligning our own will with God's will and the importance of, just within the larger context of this, of spiritual battles being won through prayer. Jesus has this moment of trial and moment of temptation and moment of battle spiritually in the garden uh, in this time of prayer. That's exactly the blueprint for then how we should handle moments of our own trials. Then we flipped uh, to 2 Thessalonians. The key phrase of the the prayer we looked at here in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 comes from verse 12, and it's this idea of the Lord glorified in you. So Paul had been boasting about them to other churches, uh, to the Thessal- about the Thessalonians because of their steadfastness and their faith during persecution. And he reads that, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about within that one how there's a couple goals of the glorification of God through believers and the glorification of believers through Jesus. Some of the other themes, just real briefly, since some of these were more recent. Um, We looked in Ephesians about this prayer to know the hope and riches and power of God. And we took away um, the importance of better understanding and getting a deeper knowledge of God's power. If we can really understand all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, then that understanding and appreciation for those things like leads to us changing uh, how we act and how we live. We looked at uh, Ephesians 3 after that, of the exceedingly abundantly beyond our imagination, uh, talking about the power of God, so that God would strengthen them with that power through dwelling in their inner being and Christ dwelling in the heart. We talked about how we don't typically think of God's power as strengthening Christians with um, endurance or boldness. We think about God's power as like Old Testament pyrotechnics or the flood or creation, but that God's power um, that we should pray for and that he works within our lives can come through strengthening Christians. And then those two same themes were continued on in the last two that we looked at of Philippians and Colossians about being pure and blameless for the day of Christ, particularly in the way that you walk, and then knowledge to walk worthy. So all of the New Testament prayers that we looked at had these similar themes of like, if you can understand all the blessings that God has given you and his power, um, what he's done for you, then that will fundamentally change the way you live. You have to live according to this standard that Uh, gets easier to live to and more important to live to the more knowledge that you have of him. Okay, so that is a 30,000 foot, 
25-minute review of the last 12 weeks, which is ambitious to try and do. But hopefully that puts on your mind all the different things we've, we've covered. Now maybe just shifting gears, like throughout this class, have there been particular prayers that have stuck out to you? Um, and if so, which ones and why? So that piece right there is like exactly what we were just looking at in how Paul had not met some of the people face-to-face that he was praying for. We are like, well, who do we intercede for these days? It, it might not be the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like maybe you intercede for Las Vegas if you want to try and like extrapolate that forward, right? But like what are different ways that we can do that? I think we see from Paul's example and like the importance of praying for other people. That's great. Um, what else has stuck out to you? Or which, which prayers have connected? Yeah, Michael. We've talked about this a lot, but just the idea of all Paul's prayers, how spiritually minded he is in all of them, and how when he invokes God's power, he's not giving it for a physical healing or a physical situation as much as deeper knowledge, power to fight Satan, you know, power for these big picture items that are so much more meaningful than just a sickness. Not to minimize sickness. Yeah. That's been a theme throughout the class, right? It's like, not that it's wrong to pray for physical things, but if you were to maybe like create a a chart that says how many spiritual things does Paul pray for and then how many physical needs does he pray for? Like, if it was maybe like a scale instead of a chart, like it would be like this, right? Like it's way overweighted towards the spiritual things. And so that is a great opportunity for reflection for all of us of like, what should I be praying about? And if I do an analysis and an inventory over my own prayers, are, do my, does my scale look the same as Paul's? Right? Yeah. Kind of along those lines, I think I've been thinking about, I know a lot of these are private prayers. Um, 
and I, examining my own prayer, prayer life, but also the prayers that we pray together and, and how are those weighted? And what would it look like if for we, us as a group to pray about more things that like Paul prayed, um, to, to more heavily weight the spiritual? And I think part of that comes with starting to look at bad things in life in a different light in the ways that God can work in those things hmm. in the hard. Um, but also like talking about it. Like if I if the only thing I know about a person is that they were sick, like that's the only thing I can pray about for them. Hmm. I gotta know something more to pray like Paul was praying about these people. Gotta work really hard not to stand on my personal soapbox because that is like I love that. Um, thought of like we could easily talk about that the rest of the time of like if you want deep and meaningful relationships with other people you you have to talk about deep and meaningful things and if you want shallow surface level relationships just talk about shallow surface level things so like if we want to pray for other people in like real meaningful ways like there's a depth of theology and a depth of understanding of God that he can pray for other people to have the same but like how can I pray about the struggles in your heart how can I pray about these situations where you have doubt? Or how can I pray for specific people in your life who you are trying to share the gospel with? Like by name and then follow up with you and pray for you to have boldness in that situation if we don't know what any of those situations are. Like we're hamstringing ourselves in that regard. Yeah, Greg. And under that same line of thinking is uh, the pattern that Paul had, which we talked about a little bit of this idea that when he's praying, he wants them to know God. And he has this back and forth of, he's so unsearchable, but I want you to know all about him. And I want you to know the height, the width, the depth, right? And so in the same way that we should be praying better things about others that we worship with, and that our prayers will deepen as we seek to know God more, that we need to be looking for him in every story of every page. Of scripture that we aren't just learning about David we're seeing Christ personified or we're seeing you know some nature of God in every page and that will formulate how we pray to him it'll change how we have the conversations with one another so it's they yeah. go hand in hand very much yeah. so with Job and then we'll get to Callie um do you think that Job probably talked to God differently after he has this I have heard about you but now I see you moment Kind of like this, oh, I've been on the receiving end of like 200 questions that you just piled on me that I am thoroughly unequipped to answer. Ooh, okay. I bet I address you a little bit differently now. And not that we have to come to God with this trembling, like it's the same, there's all these dichotomies of like not, I'm so afraid of you that I can't talk to you. You want me to address you as a father, but also by that same token, like I better be really humble like all these other people are humble when I come to you. Uh, yeah, the more we know about him, it'll, it'll inform us. It's a virtuous cycle. Yeah, Callie. Can I say the same thing uh, about how Job, his perspective shifts while he's praying, while he's having this conversation with, with God. Who God is, experience. That happens the perspective shift maybe with Jesus as well when he's praying and goes on if I have to um, help me through this and just like 
not stopping your prayer with just like one thing, but just keep praying until you have that perspective shift as well of um, just seeing it one way, but seeing it through God's eyes. The more you pray, the longer you pray, the more you dull. Maybe how God sees it as you're praying. Your so we had, um, that's such a good point. We had synthesized that through praying for God's, like just praying in general, is not us trying to align God's will with ours, but the more we pray, we're going to realign our will with God's. Yeah. The Psalms are full of those. David did that over and over and over. And I never understood, but for a long time, I didn't understand how David could be so direct and almost like in God's face yeah. with his boldness. And yet, the more he prayed, he came back around to God's will. He came back around to the trust that was under me. Yes. Yeah, it's a muscle, right? Like it's a relationship that you have to build and there's a closeness that gets closer, but also like... If you don't use it, you will start to lose it. And Michael brought this really interesting perspective in like a Wednesday night talk a few weeks ago of what would it be like if the only time you ever spent with, um, like you couldn't spend any more time with God except just within the public sphere and like how would that be and that would be weird. But the inverse of that is like, well, if you never spent any time with God alone, and then you had to spend time with God alone, it would probably be kind of awkward, right? And you'd be like, so, like, what do, you, what do you like? What are you interested? What do you want to talk about? What do you think, you know? It's like, hey, like, we should feel comfortable being with him because we've flexed that muscle and we've built that uh, momentum. So we've got, like, 10, 15 minutes left. Um, does this seem hard to you guys, though? Like, praying with this level of depth, it's one thing to recognize, okay, we should pray more and we should pray with more depth. But it's one thing to recognize this cognitively and it's another thing to do it. It can be intimidating maybe having these, like, loftier goals of saying, okay, I want to pray deeper. I want to pray more frequently, but how do I practically do that? Hopefully, what you can now do is look at all these prayers in Scripture, and there's a lot more that we just didn't have the time to cover, but you can use the prayers of people recorded in Scripture as templates and blueprints for how to pray with more depth. And that has been the exercise that we've done at the end of every class of saying, like, okay, if if I were to ever pray this in my own life, when would I? And what would that sound like? Like it's a time when plagiarism is probably like rampantly accepted. Um, God probably smiles at that level of plagiarism of like, yeah, please rip off these phrases as much as you want. Personally, I didn't know before this class that a lot of these prayers were even in here. I knew about Jesus in the garden, but I did not know about Jehoshaphat I didn't fully really comprehend what Job was getting at. Definitely didn't know about Jacob's little like arrow prayer of like, God, please deliver me. You told me you were like kind of holding him to the fire of this promise that he's made. 
And so studying through these has been really helpful. Um, probably the one that personally relates to, to me the most has been this, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Um, there have been a lot of situations in the last month for me that have felt uncertain that I have not known how to handle. I had a friend who lost her 25-year-old brother in um, a freak accident, and he passed away, and so I flew to California to go there for that, and then the following week spent time with a friend who has been depressed for a couple years, and he said, hey, I've completely given up on God and my faith. And so the whiplash of that, of like, well, how do you process some of that, um, and just stuff at work and exciting new opportunities, but also like just everyday life kind of has you feeling like, I don't really know how to handle this, God, and I don't know what to do, but I'm going to trust in you and my eyes are going to be on you. Because if Jehoshaphat can legitimately pray this prayer when there's a physical army surrounding Jerusalem, then aren't we supposed to put our trust in God even in murky and nebulous situations that make us feel like we're underqualified? Yeah. friend um, talked to me this week about journaling, and I think this applies to exactly what you're just talking about. He said, there was a real breakthrough for me in journaling when I realized I should stop writing it like someone's going to read it one day, and I should just write it like exactly how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking. And like, that's what God wants us to do with our prayers, is not pray like, I think I have to address him this way. Like, you know, that's, a, that's the exact point you're making. Um, but Yeah. Yeah, Kay. I'm so glad that both of you went down this road because I've been sitting here thinking if we don't pray because we don't feel like we can get lofty enough, or just like Michael was saying, what yeah. you can say, there is nothing too trivial if it's an issue for us to break the Lord because He is our daddy and He wants to know everything, He wants to know that we trust Him with everything. Yeah. The almost like the what is the point aspect of praying if he already knows our hearts, it would seem to be like pretty positively disproven in all of these instances of prayer and then his responses. Yeah. It would be helpful to think about uh, the studying of these prayers while if you said name one of these and, and incorporate it in your prayer right now, like uh, the 
see. Uh, it reminds me of studying proverbs. Uh, if you ask me to cite a few proverbs, I can pick out three or four off the top of my head, uh, maybe that would meant a lot to me. But what happens is, is when the circumstance comes around that fits that prayer, that's when I remember. And I think that's what is helpful about what the class has done and helpful about continuing to study prayers. It, it's not so much that you're, when you go to prayer every day, you're going to remember all of these and all the details. But when the occasions arise, you're going to remember them. And that's, I don't think that's really what the value of them to me for the whole class. And that's a great point because it's not always that you're going to be in a trial and a storm and you need to try and pray for God to deliver you immediately in this moment. But there's maybe other things that are more universally applicable for us to pray, like for other people, for instance, and that like depth of spiritual maturity. That's not circumstantially bound. That's one of those things we can maybe more blanket incorporate. as far as David and the Psalms and how prayerful they were. I was in a situation one time where I felt like I'd really been done wrong. And I was telling my dad, I want mercy and I want that other person to have justice. <laughs> and he said, well, that sounds like one of David's imperatories. Why is that? It is probably not a bad thing if you are recognizing um, maybe thoughts and feelings through a lens of, oh, this reminds me of this psalm, right? Like, that is something we should, I think. And here's a newsflash. We didn't cover any of the psalms in this class. So if you're like, hey, this has been cool, and there's more for me to use in template, well, like, go grab 120-something of them and do the same exercise. Yeah, Wayne. Oh, sorry, I thought you had a point. You're just stretching. You're just stretching. Wayne's had really good comments this whole class, so I was like, he's going to put an exclamation point on it, but no pressure. So I want to share something with you guys, maybe to end this. All of your participation and maybe like steadfastness in jumping around to different topics and saying, okay, we're looking at Job and now we're looking at Jehoshahu and like Paul's prayers are all run on sentences and like the level of intentionality from this group in a maybe less orthodox class has been really helpful and encouraging to me to spend time with you guys in this way. Um, but there's actually been somebody who I will keep um, anonymous, but who has been not even in this class, but is at Woodland Hills and has been watching back um, the classes on the live stream and going through them every week and giving me comments and notes. And um, I won't share all of this in detail, but, and this is not to say that these have to be long, but this is to encourage you with the depth of this person's heart. Um, they sent me a prayer from this prayer exercise that is three full pages long in handwritten with probably like over 30 different scriptural references off to the side. And like each little two sentence structure is related to 
this different piece of scripture. And a lot of them are ones that we didn't even cover in class, but then every single one that we did cover in class is mentioned in this. So this person somehow managed to weave through all the themes and put it into one. And it was, it's just really, really, really beautiful. Um, I'm happy to, to show it to you and send it to you. Um, but I think that's one of the ways that like, ultimately we can be the most encouraging and helpful to each other is if we do this. Not just if we intellectually increase our capacity and our understanding about prayer, but we really practice it and we practice it with each other because this person like week by week sending me like, hey, this is the thing that stuck out. And I'm like, you're not even in this class, like respectfully. Like it's been so cool and encouraging and and you just know that if you needed something, you could go talk to someone like this and they would pray with you in a heartbeat and when they say they're praying for you, they mean it. So... Let's be those people for each other because that is how we give God glory and that's how we help each other uh, not just learn this stuff but really live it.